0: Well, again, I want to welcome you to our gathering today. Uh, as our kids make their way to Center Kids, let's uh, get some in. You can open your Bibles uh, to uh, James chapter 3, where today uh, we're going to continue uh, our time looking uh, at faith that produces not simply just actions, but but really action with our words. And, and, and as he's going to build on it today, that, that even uh, in the words that we say, that it would be wise action. Um, if you remember from our time last week, what we saw is James, he begins to flesh out what it means uh, to live out one's faith with works. And man, what he's argued is that uh, it's one thing to say you have faith. It's another thing he, he says, man, show me your faith by what you do. Because faith without what? Faith without works is dead. His argument, as we saw last week, was that, man, if you claim to have faith but are speaking dead words, it is actually dead action. And I shared with you all, if you want to see the heart, uh, if you want to see the real day in and day out fruit of faith in your life, uh, man, in the lives of others, don't look at all the stuff that you're doing, it could, because you could even be doing a lot of good stuff. you could be doing a lot of great things. But I would argue that the first place you need to look is at Your words. You see, we as the church are called to be a people that proclaim better news, not simply with our lives, but by the carefulness and grace of our words. And, man, I think if there's anything in our culture right now uh, that, that the church should be, is it should be a people that are careful and filled with grace in their words. That we, as James 1 says, would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger You see, because it's there, and James, man, he's going to present the same thing in our time today. There's a way to speak and live that is full of wisdom and good fruit, and there's a way to speak and live that is not simply just wrong, but as we're going to see in the text today, he calls it unspiritual and demonic. And just as a spring cannot pour forth both fresh and spring water, nor can a fig tree produce anything but figs, our own lives cannot expect to produce good fruit if our words and actions do not line up with the faith and the fruit that we claim to bear. And so with that, let's look now. We're going to continue in this call for faith that produces fruitful and healthy action by reading uh, first verses thirteen through sixteen. James asks this question. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice." All right, so after reading this text, I want to kind of start our time with two questions. And the first question, I'm just going to press it kind of in three different levels. Uh, the, the first way I'll ask it is this. How many of you in the room today feel like you're pretty wise? I mean, let's just be real honest. Like, we all, like, we're like we all think we're pretty wise, right? Like, And you may be like, no, it's not. But you talk like you're pretty wise, <laughs> Right, like you act like you're pretty like there, there are many conversations in your head. Uh, there are many conversations that you speak, whether to yourself or to others, that if people would just do what you did or think like you think they would be OK, right? Because guess what? You're so wise. We didn't get very many hands raised that time, so let's try it this way. How many of you know someone near you that feels like they're pretty wise? Right. Oh, man, man. Just drive that bus over him. Right. Back and forth. Um... <laughs> Which leads me to the second question. How many in the room today? How many of you get yourselves in trouble at times with what you say? Yeah, all of us. Right now. Now, all of us do that at some point or another. But then, then there there are some really all of us. But, you know, there are some where you just you have more stories. Right. That you can laugh out now. Maybe not in the moment where you've said something, not thinking, or maybe even in wisdom, or maybe even with good intentions, and it comes across, and you're immediately like, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that." Right? It's gotten you into trouble, you know, or gotten you into a situation. Where you're like, "Man, I didn't know I was going to get in this situation." Like maybe you're talking to somebody on the phone uh, and you're meeting with them and they tell you that they're uh, going to be having a baby boy and then you immediately talk to the grandfather and the first thing you say to them is, hey, so glad you're having another grandson and they look at you and they're like, huh? Now, the people that told me that shouldn't have told me that before they told the grandfather, right? But I immediately knew, oh, this isn't good. It was Mickey O'Callaghan, by the way. Uh, I was like, Mickey, don't tell Judy, okay? <laughs> I didn't do it, right? It's their fault. There's so many times in life where we can begin with the best of intentions, even in our words. I mean, we can just snap really quickly, right? So in our house, um, something that happens is uh, on Saturday mornings is the only morning that Haley and I don't have to set an alarm. And, man, our goal is that our kids would, like, make it till at least 7.30 a.m. It never happens. I think yesterday it was, like, 6.15. They were up, and, and luckily they didn't come in our room until about 7. But, man, we don't have to set an alarm, so we just, man, we want to sleep in a little. Uh, we want to rest. We don't have to hear the beep. But, but our kids always wake up. And as soon as a kid wakes up, what do they want? They want something to eat. Well, our daughter Piper, a while back, she woke up. And she decided that she was going to have the best of intentions and she was going to get breakfast ready just out on the table for everyone to choose from. And so she set out, you had two options. You could either, when you got up, you could make toast or you could have cereal, which we had to have a conversation later. Don't set the milk out an hour before everyone gets up and comes in there. But she, man, she was ready. She had the best of intentions. You see, she has a thorn in her flesh and it's called Two Little Brothers. And her two little brothers, and when they see her doing something, guess what? They want to do that something. So she had the best of intentions. And guess what? They decide, man, we're going to have the best of intentions. And we are going to help you. And, man, Piper decided that was okay. But if you know anything about my daughter, she's pretty type A. She's pretty by the book and maybe even a little OCD. And so they start laying everything out. Well, then her brothers weren't doing it the right way. Her brothers weren't setting the stuff out. or Her brothers, you know, see, in Piper's mind... She already has it all drawn up of how the table is going to look. Actually, my daughter, if she's going to have a sleepover, I have seen this two days before she made an illustrated book of everything they were going to do with the sleepover. And it had checklists. And she got that book out whenever uh, her cousin got there so she could make sure they did everything. It's a gift and a curse, okay? And so she's planning all this stuff out. She has it in her head. She knows what it's supposed to look like. And then her brothers come in and they just start ruining things. They're trying to help, and we're in the bed asleep, and then we hear it. You see, she snaps. The best of intentions turn into venom really quick. Trying to serve people breakfast turns into, I'm going to murder you. You've ruined my life and the life of everyone in this house. You're not coming to my birthday. And you're probably going to be shunned from our home due to your insolent witlessness, you careless and uncoordinated swine boys. At least that's what it sounded like at 7 a.m. while I was laying in bed, right? So even though she was looking to do something caring, it turned into a mess due to her lack of care, love, and grace. And it came across in her words. And man, are we not the same? Now, I wish I could say that my response to her irrational behavior over breakfast was rational, but guess what? It probably wasn't. And it's not I can't even blame it because I didn't have coffee yet. It was just sin. And I think for all of us, we have to learn to name our sin, especially the sin of our mouth, for what it is. It's just sin. We have to stop excusing it. We have to stop making light of it. Uh, we, we have, uh, to stop admitting but not repenting of it. Anybody ever do that? Like, you'll just say you did it, but you don't really repent of it, right? Well, yeah, I did that. But you're just admitting what you did. You're not, you're not saying, and I'm sorry for it, and I need to repent of it, and it was sin. Maybe you admit it and then you say, but you did. We blame. We, We justify what we say. It's sin. You see, this is what James is pressing in verse 13 by asking. He's saying, hey, look, I want you all to wrestle with this. Who is wise and understanding among you? And again, I believe, again, if I asked, I believe all of us, if we're honest, we would have to raise our hand because we believe to ourselves that we're pretty wise and understanding. That we're better than, wiser than, and more together than so-and-so. You see in verse 13, James, in asking this question and pressing with an action statement, he's making us look again at wisdom and understanding. He tells those who claim to be wise and understanding, he says, I want you to show it by your good works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, really quickly, I want to stop because James is presenting two things. In this statement. First, James is taking us back to the beginning where we saw the need for faith and action. What he's saying, he's saying, don't just say you have wisdom and understanding. Show it through your obedience. You see, James realizes that you can claim to have wisdom and understanding, but your actions, they reveal whether or not your claims are true, specifically in your words. You see, faith is shown in the way that we live out wisdom. And the biggest thing we use to show whether or not we have wisdom and understanding is what? It's our mouths. Our tongue and the words we say. One second we can look really wise and in an instant we can say something that makes us look just plain dumb. Secondly, James uses the word meekness, which is another word for humility in talking about wisdom. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 when he says, blessed are the meek for what they will inherit the earth. You see, we have to realize that taming the tongue and walking in wisdom and understanding is it's only going to bear fruit through what through humility. I love meekness. Uh, when you define meekness, meekness really defined is, is the moral characteristic of wisdom. It's a gentleness that heals just like a soothing medicine, or the other way it's described is that it, it refreshes like a gentle breeze. I mean, how many of you just felt like you've been in a better mood the last two days? Like, just the, like you just walk outside and you're just like, oh, this is amazing. One, like, where's the humidity? Praise God. I know it's around here somewhere, but it's not here right now. And just that gentle breeze, like it feels amazing. You see, to walk in in, in humble meekness and wisdom and understanding is to walk into a room like a gentle breeze, not a hurricane or a tornado. And so we get this call to how fruitful wisdom presents itself in 13. He says it shows itself in meekness, in understanding. And then in verse 14-16, through James lays out how earthly wisdom is different from the wisdom that comes by way of grace and the transformative power of the gospel that we're going to see in verses 17 and 18 here in a bit. And so what he says, he, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their wisdom, by their understanding, by their obedience to their words. And then he begins the next verse with, but. What he's saying there, he's saying, look, I want you to, you hear that. You're, if you're raising your hand today and saying you're wise and understanding, he says, stop for a moment and don't move on too quickly. What he's doing, he's saying, hey, don't brush past what I'm asking. Really wrestle with what I'm asking. It's like if you were to tell a child, hey, we're going to go uh, to the movies today. And they get really excited and then you say, but the first thing we got to do is you got to clean your room. Well, no, I I just want to go to the movies. I I don't want to clean my room. No, before we do that, we've got to do this. That's what James is doing here. He's saying, hey, if you say you've got wisdom and understanding, let before you get so excited and pat yourself on the back. But the first thing we've got to do is we've got to deal with the heart. The first thing we've got to do, we've got to, we've got to sit in and he gets directive and personal. We have to deal with the issues of your heart. And then look at what he says next. He, he lays out two things. If you have bitter jealousy is the first one. Uh, I love, another way they translate these, these two words is uh, to have harsh zeal. To be harsh is to be abrasive. He's saying, man, the opposite of the gentleness that comes by way of wise living in light of the gospel, the opposite of that is harshness. Which, again, we often excuse and say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. But you're not speaking the truth in love. Or, hey, I'm just telling it like it is. No, you're just being rude. Like, that's what it is. You're being harsh. And you may be very zealous, Right. You have zeal is to have a heart that's after something and not caring what you have to do to get it. That's what harsh zeal is. I'm going to be abrasive. I'm going to be blunt. Because I you have something I want. Bitter jealousy. This, as I thought about how to describe it, I thought of two examples. One, this is how every Houston Texans fan feels about the Dallas Cowboys right now. You hate us because you ain't us. We're winning and y'all aren't just losing. You're getting destroyed. (laughs) Just like I say that, like watch us lose today. (laughs) That's a joke. We're gonna win the Super Bowl. (laughs) But in the second example I'll give that's closer to home is man, it's for me. It's like the Houston Astros. Like you don't understand the joy I got yesterday when I I saw that they lost because I have bitter jealousy. Because I have to ask myself, why are the Rangers so bad? And we were there two years in a row. And a guy can't catch a fly ball. So I'm jealous. You see, when we think about this, like we all struggle with being sore losers. We all struggle struggle with bitter jealousy. We are quick to be filled with jealousy. And guess what? We hold on to it for far too long. And maybe you're not a sports person today, but guess what? Man, if you're at your job and someone that's uh, maybe working alongside you gets promoted above you uh, and you don't get that promotion, maybe you get looked over for something. Maybe, uh, man, uh, you do something and no one recognizes it, but they congratulate someone else. Uh, maybe, uh, man, your your kid uh, doesn't get the award on his sports team that you think he or she deserves. Like you can become very jealous because you long for something. As you begin to talk bad about other people, we do this in the church, right? Man, we've been we've been doing this for six years. Why, you know, why aren't we where that church is? I don't know, but we can get really jealous. So he talks about bitter jealousy and then the next thing he says, but also if you have selfish ambition, uh, one writer called this the evil twin of jealousy. This has really a specific and a general definition defined specifically for the church and to whom James is writing. This is political ambition and boastfulness for being the boastfulness for self so that you might be promoted to a greater level of authority. You know what James was talking about earlier when he says, man, not many should long to be teachers. That's what he's going after. He's saying, hey, you have a selfish ambition to be in a place because you want the spoils of that place. But we could also use this generally as well. We could have selfish ambition in business. We could have selfish ambition over, uh, again, our family. It's that heart of Cain, right? I see what they have and I want it. James says, if this is your heart, he says, don't boast. Don't be so quick to raise your hand and say, I'm wise and understanding. And be false against the truth that you claim, which is another way of saying stop excusing your sin by claiming it to be wisdom. James is painting a picture of not just uh, of not just how what's in the heart produces itself in outer action, but also how quick we are to make excuses in defense for it. Jesus in Luke six presents the same reality uh, in verses forty three through forty five. He says, "No good tree bears bad fruit." Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, because each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Looks pretty familiar to James chapter 3, right? Right? Good and bad trees, good and bad fruit. The good and wise person has good treasure in their heart and it produces good. The evil or unwise person, man has man is seeking after evil treasure and produces evil. I love Luke 6.45. It says, for the out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, in our lives... We not only need to walk in humility in how we speak, we need to look at how we speak and then discern what is holding weight or worship in our lives and our hearts. You see, when you produce bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you cannot claim to be walking in wisdom from above. Rather, what James says is the wisdom you're walking is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Man, note the descent there in severity. It goes from bad to worse to worst. He says it's earthly, which, man, to say that something is earthly is to say it's of the world. It denotes a brokenness. Then he says it's unspiritual. By unspiritual, he means this is the nature of fallen humanity, that we all, by nature, are hopelessly flawed. But then he goes, he says it's demonic. What that literally means, it's literally authored and its source is of the devil. And then he gives the fruit of this response. He says the fruit of responding this way is, uh, is disorder and every vile practice. Man, look at the round at the world we live in. Does it seem in order... <laughs> Next question, are we as the church living into and attributing to the disorder and vile practice, or are we actually living out better news? I'll say it this way. Does, does your yelling at your spouse create order in your marriage? Or does it create disorder in every vile practice? Does your yelling at your children create order? Or does it create disorder? Now, you may have order for a moment, but it's not going to last. You're just going to have to yell more and louder and with more force. Talked about it last week. Does your yelling on social media create order or disorder? In every vile practice, man, this is what Satan loves. because what he can do is he can just trick us and say hey it's okay just just throw that out there it's all right yeah talk that way you deserve better they have deeply offended and wounded you so respond accordingly hurt them yell more yell louder if they're not listening throw some stuff There's better news. But do we believe there's better news? But not only is there better news, this better news produces a better way of living. And so we have earthly wisdom. Let's look at wisdom that's from God by reading verses 17 and 18. It says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Alright, so here we find that, that wisdom from above, when manifested in one's life, produces fruit that is unlike what we produce in and of ourselves. We see this from the start of verse 17 when it says that this wisdom is from above. Man, today, where are you looking to for wisdom? If it's not from above, meaning if you're not running to the word of God and crying out for wisdom, the wisdom of God in each and every situation, guess what? You'll run to what you know, which is likely selfishness. <laughs> What's going to be best for me? That's, that's, that, that's the wisdom I need for today. You'll go to what is earthly and spiritual and even demonic. But you see, to walk wisely, what we first have to realize is that you and I cannot produce what is not in us. And so we have to look to Jesus, who proclaims to us true and better wisdom. Gospel-centered, life transforming, hope, proclaiming, and relational, reconciling wisdom. It's in, it's within reach. But guess what? It's only found by laying down one's own kingdom and submitting to the kingdom of God in meekness and humility. You see, all who are in Christ are to what? To take His yoke upon themselves. See, what would happen uh, in biblical times, probably still today, um, is uh, you would take a young ox and you would yoke it to an older ox. And that older ox would teach that young ox the pace to go, when to turn, and when to stop. And so you let them walk together for a while, and that young ox, because he had the yoke of the older ox on him, he would learn and he would naturally begin to walk at the same pace, to turn at the right times and to stop and go when it needed to stop. And go. This is what we are called to in Christ. And in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Man, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my what? My burden is light. Also, Jesus says in Matthew 11, the reason you do this is because Jesus is gentle, meek, and lowly in heart. What this means is that if we are to learn what it means to live lives of wisdom that are marked by meekness, we have to yoke ourselves to Him. What are you yoking your life to today? What are you after? What are you learning from? I and mean, I think even you, you maybe today you're saying, well, I think I'm yoking my life to Jesus. But man, what's your view of Jesus. You see, because there's a totally different way of yoking yourself to something. You can yoke yourself to an ox. That'll, uh, a, a an older ox will lead a younger ox. But I remember also growing up, uh, I showed animals, and we had a steer that it couldn't. It was just too big to be broken. And so we got a donkey and tied the donkey to it. And guess what? The donkey doesn't gently lead anything. If the donkey wants to go somewhere and you don't go, guess what the donkey does? The donkey kicks you. And after about four or five kicks. That animal was like, I'll follow you anywhere, right? But That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't kick you. <laughs> Say, get up. And then when you try to go, he doesn't kick you again, right? No, he's gentle and lowly in heart, right? Actually, Jesus in his meekness came and he serves you. So what do lives look like that, that, that are yoked to Jesus? Well, this is what James says. He says, first, they're pure. Now by pure, we have to realize it's not by our own doing. You can't make yourself pure. It's only by being washed by the blood of the Lamb. Being made pure, what that naturally does as your yoke to Jesus leads into purity that only grace can produce. Again, I said it earlier, what we're after is not in us apart from Jesus. This type of purity is an unmixed devotion to God. It's not saying, well, I'll have some a little bit of Jesus' yoke and a little bit of, uh, of uh, man, my the yoke of my job and a little bit of the yoke of whatever, you know, you fill in the blank. No, it's unmixed devotion to God. Next, it says that this type of life is peaceable. This type of wise living is peaceable. It's a heart of peace that knows Christ as their peace. Guess what? You have no peace apart from Christ. Next, it says it is gentle. Uh, the, the, the actual definition for that gentleness uh, is kindly. It's not what we expect. This type of gentleness, actually, it, it, to go deeper, is a willingness to forgo one's rights even when they're wronged. Man, what a mark of the Gospel. What a picture of how Jesus described His heart. He says, man, my heart is gentle and lowly. It's it's willing a willingness to forego one's rights even when wronged, and Jesus did that by taking our wrongs upon Himself. Next, it says that it's full of mercy and good fruits. Uh, What this means, he's not saying like it's full of pity and and just the man there's just this this sympathy. No, it's compassion that acts. It's not, as as James said in chapter 2, telling someone, hey, just be warmed and filled when they're in need of clothing and food. No, it's actually seeing them warm and filled. This idea of good fruits is the realization and the truth that an apple tree is no good if it does not produce apples. It's the same for the follower of Jesus. If you don't produce the good fruit you claim to follow, then are you really following Next, it says that it's impartial. This term for impartial is to be steady or consistent in mind, demeanor, heart, and action. Your emotions aren't here one second and down here the next. Next, it's sincere. What that means is literally without hypocrisy. You're not playing an act. I mean, today, um, are, are you the same person Let's just say you and I, like, are you the same person towards me as you are towards your wife, kids, parents, coworkers, classmates, whatever it is, neighbors? And if you would say yes, would they say the same? Like, if I were to sit down with your five closest relationships, would they all describe your personality, demeanor, and active responses, your words, towards them in the same way? Not just when you're happy-go-lucky either. Like, what about when you're stressed? What about when you feel wounded? What about when you feel hurt? Would, would people respond the same way? Good or bad, right? See, so when we look at these, these things are true wisdom, James says. And when we walk in, in this type of wisdom... Verse 18 says, he says, you'll see a harvest of righteousness. Man, what might a harvest of righteousness look like if we lived out this type of wisdom? And where in your life do you see that flesh in itself out? Where you're like, man, there's not a harvest of righteousness here. It says because it's sown in peace by what? By those who make peace. Are you making peace today? Or are you just... Allowing Satan to devour, or are you allowing a disorder in every vile practice. I started to think about just stories of my own life where I've seen kind of both sides of this, and uh, a few years back, before we ever planted the church, which is actually a lot longer than I think. Uh, I remember um, Haley and I went to Thanksgiving at my grandparents. And uh, my uncle at the time was struggling with alcoholism, and he showed up, and he was just and he was just drunk as can be, and he tried to act like nothing was wrong. And man, I like wisdom out the door, like I left it, and like uh, man, I was upset, I was angry. Like James one was nowhere near. I wasn't going to be quick to listen. I wasn't going to be slow to speak, and I was definitely not slow to anger. And I remember, you know, he he tried to act like nothing was wrong. I mean, I just confronted him. And, and, and again, I, 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 you know, I was just telling him like it was, but I wasn't speaking truth and love. And so a few days later, after some reflection, I said, OK, it's time to call him and let's talk about that. And So I called him and, you know, in my mind, I was going to reason with him. I was going to show him all my wisdom as a 27-year-old, right? You see, the problem was that my wisdom wasn't from above. I sought to place myself in authority by selfish ambition and pride. I didn't show wisdom with my words. Again, he acted like nothing was wrong. He didn't understand why I would be so upset, and I just lost it on the phone. I was just outside, just yelling and screaming and just telling them, do you understand what you're doing and all this stuff and the destruction you're having and yada yada. And man, I was saying a lot of good things, right? And I walk inside, and I remember Haley just gently rebukes me. She was just like, Kyle, you, do you realize you're yelling? You, you shouldn't be yelling like that. It's not gonna, it's not gonna do anything. Also, the neighbors can hear you. And I was like, oh gosh. And so I called him back. And I believe the second time I called him, there was a difference. I tried to speak wisely. My yoke was in Christ. I apologized to him. I proclaimed the Gospel to him. You see, the thing about it is talking wisely doesn't mean you just skirt around things or push things under the rug. Which is something else I like to do, by the way. Just act like it's not there. It's a nine on the Enneagram, by the way. Just take a nap. But I shared with him my feelings and just relayed to him where his brokenness was and that Jesus was the only thing that could fix those things. And we went round and round and round. I sought to be pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And man, I got off the phone and I wish I could say that he repented and turned from his sin towards Christ, but he didn't. Rather, he continued in the pattern of earthly wisdom and it led to his death. You see, his response wasn't the fruit of righteousness that I longed for, but I believe, man, and as I thought about it this morning, it's produced in me the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness. Like it's made me more pure. It's drawn me closer to Jesus. But also it's brought greater fruit in other relationships, especially with relationships of people in my own family now. I ask Haley all the time, man, why do people in my family come to me? Like they don't listen to me. But they are like, anytime they have an issue or quite like, they call me and I'm like, Like, I'm on the phone and I'm like, I don't want to answer them. Like, I don't want to tell them because they're not going to listen again. Why do they come to me? But by God's grace, and it's not in me, man, I have been able to be a voice of gentle reason. And I believe it's largely because, man, I get to be a picture of gospel stability, of something different, of better news. Now, do I always handle it perfectly? No. I get frustrated because they don't listen. You see, a lot of times I think that, man, we the reason we don't sow a lot of peace is because we think we're the ones that have to produce the righteousness or we think the righteousness is all out there. But guess what? More and more what I'm realizing is Jesus is just wanting to do a work in my heart. And man, like, uh, I praise God if He's doing a work in the other person's heart. I long for that. I want to see that. But man, He's always pointing it back to me. He's always doing something in me. He's wanting me to sow peace by making peace. Today, in your own life, are you a peacemaker? And if you say you are, do your words match it? And so as we just think, I just want us to respond today by Man, wrestling, man, where do you need to conform today? Where do you need to see change today? Maybe today you're really quick to raise your hand and say, man, I'm wise and understanding. If people would just listen to me. Maybe you need to sit back and say, wait, is it because I have bitter jealousy? Is it because I've been wounded? Is it because man, I have selfish ambition? Uh, or is it Man, am I sowing peace? Man, is, am I going about these things in gentleness and humility and meekness and obedience to God's Word? Or am I just talking because I like to hear myself talk? What kind of wisdom are you showing others? What if we began to proclaim the Gospel instead of tearing others down and humbly walked in wisdom with our words instead of being a shame-filled culture full of insecurity insecurity and jealousy. I'm going to have Brett and Cody uh, come back up. And, and as they come up, I, I just want us to just just sit with this today. And what's your wisdom look like? Is it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic? Or is it, as we saw pure peaceable gentle open i forgot open to reason um i skipped over that one don't know why i have it here um let me just share really quickly open to reason open to reason means you have nothing to to prove and you're willing to be wrong you're teachable and even persuadable it's a big issue in our culture and in the church no one knows how to be wrong and respond well right How many of us, when you're wrong, you just respond really well? (laughs) You either beat yourself up behind the scenes, or you just, you isolate yourself from that person because you, how dare them make you wrong, right? Instead of just humbling yourself and owning it. That's what it means to be open to reason. And we want to be a people of better news that have been transformed by the very same news. And it's not about how much we know, how much we do, how much we say it's about who we know, right? It's about Jesus and what He has done and what He has said and who He is. And then in light of what He's done, and He calls us in, He draws us in by His grace and He transforms our lives. I mean, that should transform our words. Maybe we should just for a while. You should just talk less and listen more, and maybe pray more. May we be that type of people? So I want to invite you. I'm going to pray for us. I want to invite you to reflect. And man, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and share in communion days. Man, you come to share in the communion. I want you to remind you remind you of the peace. You remind of the peace you have in Jesus. That, that all the things that we read, that, that wisdom from above, all those things are only accomplished and given to you by God's grace because of what Jesus has done in the giving of His life, the shedding of His blood, and the power of His resurrection. And may that draw you to worship. May that draw you to live differently. Not going out saying, I'm not going to talk like that anymore in your own strength, right? But that you would say, Jesus, I transform my life in such a radical way that I speak differently. So God, I ask that You give us grace, that you would, um, yeah, you would reveal just where our heart is. That we would not be so quick in pride to think we are something we are not, but that we would in meekness and humility run to You, cling to You, draw near to You, knowing that apart from You, that we, that we, we just run the other way that we be near to You. And God, as we, as, as we are near to You and as we hear uh, man, the gentle way that You speak to us, that we would do the same towards others. That we would not see the need for selfish ambition. That we would lay aside our jealousy and our insecurity because our hope is fully in You. Our identity is fully in You. And we thank You for Your Word. God, that, that it does not uh, skirt around things, but that it gets right to our heart. Lord, let us be people of grace-filled action, because our faith is in You. In Jesus' name, amen.